أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم كل نفس ذائقة الموت وإنما توفون أجوركم يوم القيامة فمن زحزح عن النار فمن زحزح عن النار وأدخل الجنة فقد فاز وما الحياة الدنيا إلا متاع السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه أما بعد So brothers and sisters we have spent a quite a long journey discussing what we know about the realities of Jahannam and we have gone through from the descriptions to the people to the sins to the issues of eternality uh, to the various darajat and the various doors that we know of uh, and also the uh, the controversy over uh, who are the ashabul a'raf or the people of the uh, the um, uh, the plains or the slopes uh, or the mountain tops and all of this inshallah ta'ala has been of great benefit to us however Today's lecture is going to be ending our series of uh, Jahannam with some very useful knowledge. The whole point of this series is that we save ourselves from Jahannam. All that has preceded it is a knowledge that should motivate us in order to be saved from Jahannam. As Allah says in the Quran, فَمَنْ زُحْزِحَ عَنِ النَّارِ وَأُدْخِلَ الْجَنَّةَ فَقَدْ فَازِ Whoever is removed from the fire of hell and uh, is caused to enter Jannah, that is the person that has indeed won everything. We want to be of the winners. And the only way to be a winner is to be saved from Jahannam and to enter Jannah. Today's lecture will be the final lecture of the series of Jannah. Inshallah, in our next week, we're going to be discussing, uh, beginning our series, uh, uh, Jahannam, excuse me. Next week, we'll inshallah, beginning our series of Jannah. But today, we will discuss specific deeds and actions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam has explicitly mentioned as something that causes us to be saved from Jahannam. Now, it is true to state every good deed is a factor to be saved from Jahannam, obviously. And therefore, overall, piety and taqwa and iman and ikhlas, all of this is gonna uh, help us to be saved from Jahannam. But today, I wanted to concentrate on specific concepts or good deeds or rituals or specific symptoms if you like that have been linked in the Quran and especially in the Sunnah because we have a number of them in the Sunnah that literally causal, uh, make a causal linkage. If you do this, you shall, you shall be saved from Jahannam. Whoever does this uh, shall not enter Jahannam. So those are even more important for us to concentrate on and that's what we're gonna try to do inshallah ta'ala uh, for today's lecture. Now we will begin with the number one on that list and on any list of good deeds. Number one is Iman in 
in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the kalima and tawheed and ikhlas. Strong belief in Allah. Nothing substitutes iman, nothing. There is nothing that comes close to having a strong sense of iman in the heart and putting our iman and tawakkul and ikhlas and our khushur and our love and our hope and our fear, all of it linking it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and all of that is manifested in the kalima of la ilaha illallah. Nothing substitutes the importance of that kalima. In the famous hadith of Bukhari and Muslim, Mutafaq Ali, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, inna Allah ta'ala قَدْ حَرَّمَ عَلَى النَّارِ مَنْ قَالَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ يَبْتَغِي بِذَلِكَ وَجْهَ اللَّهِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the fire of hell prohibited. حَرَّمَ Literally the word حَرَّمَ Allah has made haram the fire of hell. To whom? Whoever says لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Sincerely desiring the pleasure of Allah. Brothers and sisters, stop right here. Repeat after me. La ilaha illallah. Make your heart mukhlis for the sake of Allah. Say it desiring Allah's reward. Say it within, with complete iman in Allah, knowing firmly that there is no creator, there is no God, there is no deity other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Say it from the heart with the utmost sincerity in order to be saved from the fire of hell. La ilaha illallah. La ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah. That kalima will save us from the fire of hell. In another hadith, our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, مَا مِنْ أَحَدٍ يَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صِدْقًا مِنْ قَلْبِهِ إِلَّا حَرَّمَهُ اللَّهُ عَلَى النَّارِ That there is not a single person who testifies to لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله sincerely from his heart. He says it with sincerity. He says it truly, knowing it to be true, except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make the fire of hell haram for him. Therefore, dear Muslims, make sure that we say the kalima frequently, we say it loudly, we say it all the time, we say it sincerely, we say it knowing what it means, believing in it and understanding that there is no phrase that is more blessed than this kalima. The number one factor to be saved from the fire of hell is the kalima of la ilaha illallah, to be saying it from the heart, sincerely upon the tongue, believing in it, applying it, implementing it. Number two of the things that saves the fire from the fire of hell, and of the most important things, which is again, something that is mentioned in the Quran as well, is the constant prayer. Always praying your salawat on time, praying your salawat in the proper manner, praying that your salawat with punctuality. And this is again, explicitly mentioned in the Quran, in that when the angels ask the people of Jahannam, how did you end up here? They will answer, we were not of those who used to pray. The first thing that they understand on their minds, we are here because we abandoned the salah. And our Prophet sallallahu told us that the prayer is a light and the prayer is an evidence and the prayer is a means of being saved on the day of judgment. And in the hadith in Sahih Bukhari, Again, the phrase that's what I'm trying to find here in these lectures, in today's lecture, anything in which Jahannam has been made haram. Allah has made haram for the fire of hell. What? Who? That the fire of hell touches or afflicts or eats any place on the body that did sajda to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, anybody who did sajda even occasionally, the, meaning the Muslim that 
yani wasn't praying regularly, committed major sins, even that person, as we said, even if they are punished uh, through the fire of hell, we talked about the Ashab al-A'raf, the believers who are punished for a period of time, even if they are punished, the fire of hell is not going to touch the places that did sajda to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So then what will be the case of the one who constantly did sajda? What will be the case of the one whose limbs were always engaged in more than 20, 30, 40 sajdas a day, which is what the righteous Muslim will be doing, right? Because the bare minimum uh, number of raka'at is seven and multi uh, 17 uh, per day. If you you just did the bare minimum 17 and then you add the witr and then you add the sunnah narratiba you will easily get uh, 30 plus raka'at and then you multiply that by uh, two because that is obviously uh, the number of sajdas so all of this will show the one constantly doing sajda for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that person inshallah ta'ala will not even enter the fire of hell the one who regularly prayed you see the previous hadith is the one who just prayed on and off and the Prophet said the sajda is so beloved to Allah that even that person who just prayed on and off, the places that did sajda, which is going to be the hands and the face and the feet and the knees, the places that did sajda, at least they will be protected because there was that element of khushu' that they lowered their heads in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, however, as for the one who regularly prayed, hadith is reported in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad from Hanzala al-Usaydi that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, مَنْ حَافَظَ عَلَى الصَّلَوَاتِ الْخَمْسِ عَلَى وُضُوئِهَا وَمَوَاقِيتِهَا وَرُكُوعِهَا وَسُجُودِهَا يَرَاهَا حَقًّا لِلَّهِ عَلَيْهِ حُرِّمَ عَلَى النَّارِ So this is an authentic hadith in Muslim Imam Ahmad. Listen to this carefully. Whoever guards the pray five prayers, حَافَظَ Whoever is praying the five prayers and protects their wudu and their timings and their ruku' and their sujood and he knows he is doing his duty in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah will make the Jahannam haram for him. Hurrima ala nar. He will be made haram upon the fire of hell. Therefore, dear Muslim, now obviously this is uh, with the understanding that the one who prays regularly, inshallah ta'ala, that person is not going to be murdering or plundering or you know raping. Understandably, when you get to that level of being very conscientious of your salah, it is almost inconceivable that somebody is conscientious of their salah and they're also a mass murderer, for example. Obviously, if that person is there, then uh, they have to answer for those other sins and the salawat is not necessarily going to save him. But the goal or the purpose of this hadith is to give the default ruling. The general ruling is that the person who is punctual and regular and persistent and guards the five prayers with the wudu and the qiyam and the ruku' and the sujood, making sure that he does everything on time with punctuality, that person has achieved a level of iman, inshaAllah ta'ala, that at least the fire of hell, that person will be saved from. So this is an incentive for us to be very, very eager to be able to pray all of our prayers regularly. And especially out of the prayers after the fall of prayer, Another prayer has been linked to being saved from Jahannam. In a hadith reported in Abu Dawood and Tirmidhi, Umm Habiba, the uh, wife of the Prophet ﷺ said that she heard the Prophet ﷺ say that whoever prays four raka'at before dhuhr and four raka'at after dhuhr, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shall make the fire of hell haram for him. And therefore, these are the sunan of al-dhuhr, the sunan prayers of dhuhr. So out of all 
all of the sunnah and prayers, each one has a blessing that others don't have. This is not to say that the others are not blessed. Our Prophet said about the two rak'at before Fajr, that whoever does that, it is better than this whole world and all that is in it. That's another blessing. But this blessing is for Salatul Dhuhr. Why? Because Dhuhr is a hot prayer. Dhuhr is a prayer that is at the heat of the day and you're just tired and lethargic. If somebody is able to consistently pray four rak'at before Dhuhr and four rak'at after Dhuhr, then the Prophet ﷺ said, Allah has made Jahannam haram for that person. Another uh, specific good deed that is mentioned to be saved from Jahannam is continual fasting for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to be persistent in our fasts and to fast for the sake of Allah. In the famous hadith in Bukhari and Muslim, مَنْ صَامَ يَوْمًا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ بَعَّدَ اللَّهُ وَجَهُ عَنِ النَّارِ سَبْعِينَ خَلِيفًا Whoever fasts one day in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will remove his face from Jahannam for a distance of 70 spans of journey, 70 khalif, which is 70 you know, years of travel or however long. Again, the word khalif has ambiguous meanings. The point is a very far distance away. Now the phrase, man sama yawman fi sabilillah, whoever fasts a day in the way of Allah. The majority of scholars have interpreted that whoever fasts while doing the good deed of being on a legitimate jihad in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, being on an expedition, that whoever is able to combine being on a travel or a journey uh, that is for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on an expedition, and they fast on that day. That is the majority interpretation. Another group says, fi sabilillah can mean that in any good deed or any good any day that you are doing something good and you fast in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you will also get that uh, deed. And the point is that this hadith tells us that fasting, the extra fast for the sake of Allah, is one of the ways to be saved from Jahannam. And in fact, this is an explicit hadith reported in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad as well, that the Prophet said, As-sawmu junnatun min adhabillah. As-sawmu junnatun min adhabillah. That fasting is a shield, a barrier that will protect you from the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So of the greatest of good deeds that will protect us from uh, Jahannam is to fast for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another explicit uh, thing that is mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is to be of those whom Allah loves and to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anas ibn Malik reports in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, that our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Wallahi la yulqi, uh, la yulqi allahu habibahu finnar. It's an authentic hadith that our Prophet sallallahu is giving a qasam or an oath. I swear by Allah, he is saying, that Allah shall never throw the one whom he loves into the fire of hell. La yulqi allahu habibahu finnar. So you have to be of Allah's ahibba, the one whom Allah has hub for. How do we do this? We should go through the Qur'an, dear brothers and sisters, and read every single verse that Allah says, Wallahu yuhibbu, Wallahu yuhibbu al-muttaqeen, inna Allah yuhibbu al-tawabeen, wa yuhibbu al-mutatahireen. And make sure that any characteristic that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves, that we follow it. And conversely, go through the entire Qur'an and any characteristic that Allah despises, Allah hates, that we stay away from it. Wallahu la yuhibbu al-fasad, Wallahu la yuhibbu al-zalimeen. We have to be careful and avoid anything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not love. So we do what we can to be of those whom Allah loves and we avoid uh, doing that which Allah does not love. And when we do that, 
we are getting into this promise of our Prophet Sallallahu that Allah shall never throw those whom He loves into uh, Jahannam. Therefore, we strive to be amongst those whom Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala loves. Another deed that has been explicitly linked to be saved from Jahannam is to participate in a legitimate struggle, in a legit, legitimate expedition or jihad fi sabilillahi ta'ala. And again, this is something that in our days is not something that is uh, uh, common or easy to do because of the circumstances. Uh, but uh, once upon a time, obviously, when the Umayyads were involved in uh, of, uh, offensive or defensive jihad, when Muslim lands were being invaded and people were fighting uh, on behalf of the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is the type of jihad. Obviously, we have to give the disclaimer that what is happening now in the name of jihad by these movements, almost all of it is definitely not what is intended by these verses and a hadith. But the ahadith of praising legitimate jihad is something we should never be ashamed of. There is no question that when the Muslim lands are invaded and people stand up and uh, protect uh, the innocent women and children and protect the lands of the Muslims, this is something that is a legitimate jihad fi sabilillahi ta'ala. And when in the early times there was offensive jihad, then also that was a legitimate jihad. These days, of course, there cannot be any offensive jihad given our political circumstances. So the point being that we should not shy away, that indeed there was, um, uh, there are many blessings associated with a legitimate jihad fi sabilillahi ta'ala. And of those, our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, hadith is in Sahih Bukhari, that Whoever's feet were dusted in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those feet shall never touch the fire of hell, okay? Or Allah has made Jahannam haram for him, all of him. So once again, the notion of that person getting tired and struggling and walking in the sand, doing for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make Jahannam haram for him. So this is another good deed that is explicitly mentioned uh, in order to save yourself from Jahannam. Yet another uh, good deed that is explicitly mentioned that will help us uh, to be saved from Jahannam is something that all of us can do every single night, every single day. We should do this in private and in secrecy. What is that deed that is so blessed that will save us from Jahannam? Our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Hadith is in Sunan At-Tirmidhi, Aynani la tamussahum, la tamussahum an-nar. Two are the pair of eyes that the fire of hell shall never touch. Number one, Aynun bakat min khashyatillah. And number two, Aynun batat tahrisu fi sabilillah. Two are the eyes that the fire of hell will never touch. Number one, the eyes that cried out of the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And number two, the eyes that spent the night awake guarding the lands of Allah in the way of Allah. Once again, if you are a military you know, guard, you are being protecting the ummah, making sure the enemy does not invade, and you spend the whole night awake you know, in a very dangerous situation for the sake of the ummah. So this too is something that has been mentioned, goes back to the previous one of a legitimate struggle. But the point of this one is to cry for the fear of Allah, to cry out of a sense of desperation of one's own sins, to cry out of a yearning to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a yearning to get Allah's forgiveness. And subhanAllah, dear brothers and sisters, how rare is it to really hear of such uh, you know, talks and to uh, read about such things. In reality, uh, the Quran praises those who cry out of the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It really demonstrates a sense of utter, utmost humility in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Try your best 
when you are all alone. This is not something that should ever be done in public unless you are overwhelmed and you cannot help it. Otherwise, the default is that one cries in privacy. One cries when nobody else is watching and one opens up one's heart and confesses one's sins to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and admits one's faults and mistakes and shortcomings and begs Allah's forgiveness and asks Allah for his mercy. This is something that we should do regularly. And if we do it and our eyes are overwhelmed with tears, then that is a very, very, positive sign and we should try to do this as much as possible. So crying out of the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another deed that brings about uh, uh, forgiveness and uh, being saved from Jahannam, another deed that is explicitly linked uh, to be being saved from Jahannam is to demonstrate patience in times of severe adversity, in times of great distress. And uh, one hadith in particular mentions a very distressful situation. Uh, our Prophet wasallam said, hadith is in Abu Huraira, narrated by Abu Huraira, uh, that there is no person who loses three of his children and he is patient at that, except that the fire of hell shall not touch him. Okay, so being patient now, you guys have to realize now, subhanAllah, in our days, the death of a child is something that is very, very rare and we thank Allah for that. Do realize that once upon a time, uh, it was actually very, very common. Remember, no vaccines, no inoculation. This was, you know, uh, rampant, you know, diseases and viruses and plagues and warfare and whatnot. To lose children was extremely common. In fact, it was the default. And that's why there was a higher birth rate because it was expected that a few of the children would pass away. And uh, three was, you know, it was not something that was uh, very common, but neither was it uncommon to lose three. So it's something that, you know, maybe, you know, uh, a, a small percentage of people, but not just, not like an insignificant percentage, but a group that is not a small amount, but still it is something that uh, was common, but not to the level that يعني, it's every second family or so. So the Prophet is saying that if you are patient in that severe calamity, our scholars mention that this applies therefore to any calamity. And there is no uh, question that inshaAllah ta'ala, we hope in our time in a day and age that this hadith applies to anybody who loses even one child because to lose one child in our era is in fact more rare than it was to lose three children in the previous eras. Actually, this is statistically true uh, because the mortality rate has not just gone down in half or in third, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it has gone down uh, to one-tenth or one-fifth, much less than it used to be, you know, 200, 300 years ago, the mortality rate amongst children. It is one of the greatest achievements of uh, that Allah has blessed us with through modern science. And therefore, anybody who has lost uh, a child uh, should insha'Allah ta'ala be optimistic that if they are patient that there is a guarantee from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they will not be uh, punished in the fire of hell. Another good deed that is explicitly mentioned is the good deed of charity, the good deed of giving sadaqah. Once again, giving charity for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one of the most important ways to be saved from Jahannam. 
in the famous hadith in Bukhari and Muslim, our Prophet Sallallahu was speaking to the women and he said to them, Tasaddaqna, give charity because I saw that the majority of inhabitants of the hellfire that I saw, they were of the, uh, they were from uh, women. Now I explained this in a previous lecture that the majority of heaven and hell both are going to be women. And the point of this hadith was that women be extra generous in their charity. The point was not to denigrate women, the point was to incite them to do better good deeds. But the point here is that what one deed did he mention that he linked it directly to be saved from Jahannam? You see, that's the point that I'm mentioning in this hadith or, or this for this talk. What did he bring up to warn women to be saved from Jahannam? He said, give charity. And in the other hadith in Sahih Bukhari, our Prophet wasallam said, Save yourselves from the fire of hell, even if it be from a portion of a date or even the date seed, something that is just a small or insignificant amount. Just keep on giving. Keep on giving as much as you can for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he said, if, if you cannot find something to give, then a good word, a cheerful word, a word of encouragement. Therefore, we learn another thing to protect us from the fire of hell, and that is to be charitable, to be nice, to be uh, uh, people of generosity. And this leads us directly to the next point, which is one of the ways to be saved from Jahannam, explicitly linked uh, in the hadith, is to have good manners, to be humble, to be soft-hearted, to be a person who is beloved to the people because of their good manners. In Tirmidhi, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is reported to have said, The Prophet said, do you want me to tell you, do you want me to tell you who has been made prohibited from the fire of hell? They said, who? He said, every person who is nearby when you need them and easygoing and gentle. Qareeb, hayyin and sahl. Everybody who's qareeb. Qareeb means when you need him, he's there for you. Qareeb means he's always, you know, when you, when you need a helping hand, a shoulder to cry on, you need a, a ride, you need some money, you need, he's always there for you, qareeb. Hayyin, he's humble. Hayyin, he doesn't have any arrogance, he's lowering himself. Sahl, easygoing. Just nice, nice to be around. He's not some nasty, mean-spirited, you know, sharp-tongued. No, sahl, easygoing. So these three characteristics, what do they all encompass? Good akhlaq. And therefore, our Prophet ﷺ said that the one who has these characteristics, the one who has good akhlaq, that there is no question that the fire of hell has been made haram for him. So this is yet another thing that uh, we can uh, add to our list of that which is going to make sure that we do not enter the fire of hell. Yet another thing that uh, we should mention is we already mentioned the kalima, and I should have tacked this on over there, but we can add it over here, is that saying the kalima at the time of death in particular. I already mentioned in point number one, to say the kalima with ikhlas, with sidq and whatnot. Okay, now another point we can add is that to say the kalima at the time of death, if we are able to say the kalima when we pass away, then insha'Allah ta'ala, this is a sign that the doors of Jannah have opened up 
and the doors of Jahannam have closed. In the hadith in Abu Dawood, uh, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Man kana akhira kalamihi la ilaha illallah dakhala al-jannah. Whoever manages to say la ilaha illallah as his last breath shall enter Jannah. So that hadith links it to Jannah. In another hadith in Ibn Majah, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, it's a long hadith, it's a beautiful hadith. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Man qala la ilaha illallah wallahu akbar. Whoever says this, Allah will say, you have spoken the truth. There is no God but me and I am Akbar. And whoever says, la ilaha illallah wahdahu, Allah will say, yes indeed, there is no God and I am wahdi, I am by myself unique. Whoever says, la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika la, Allah Azza wa Jal will affirm that as well. Whoever says, la ilaha illallah lahul mulk wa lahul hamd, Allah Azza wa Jal will also say, la ilaha illa ana liyal mulk wa liyal hamd. And whoever says, la ilaha illallah wa la hawla wa la quwata illa Allah will affirm that as well. And then the Prophet said, Man qalaha fi maradihi thumma mata lam tut'imhu an-nar. Whoever says this phrase when he falls sick and then passes away, then the fire of hell will never touch him. So this hadith indicates a very important point, and that is how does one guarantee that one will say La ilaha illallah at the time of death? Well, there is no guarantee. There's no guarantee, but you can try. And how do you try? Look at this hadith. Keep on saying the kalima in all of its variations. La ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah wallahu akbar, la ilaha illallah wahda, la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika la, la ilaha illallah lahul mulku alhamdu wa lakul shayin qadir, la ilaha illallah wa la hawla quwwata billah. Just keep on saying the kalima with all of its permutations. And if you were persistent to say it when you were alive, then insha'Allah ta'ala, Allah will bless you to say it at the time of your death. And that's our goal. And if we say it at the time of our death, then what did the Prophet say? That person shall enter Jannah and that person shall never enter the fire of hell. We should all make dua to Allah, that O oh Allah, make the last phrase that we ever say, La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. We should make a sincere dua to Allah, that that be our last phrase, so that insha'Allah ta'ala, we enter Jannah and the fire of Jahannam is forbidden upon us. Also of the ways that uh, in fact the Quran and Sunnah is very clear on and one of the most important ways, and I'll go into a little bit of you know extra detail here just so that we are understanding of this, but of the ways that uh, is very explicit in the Quran and Sunnah is constant dua to Allah to be saved from Jahannam. Constant dua to Allah to be saved from Jahannam. That we always make dua that oh Allah protect me from the fire of hell. Allahumma ajirni min an-nar. Allahumma qini a'adhab an-nar. That, uh, that oh, oh, uh, Allahumma sarif anna a'adhab jahannam Turn away from us a'adhab jahannam And if you look at the du'as of the Qur'an. Subhanallah, dozens of phrases are in the Qur'an. So many du'as about being saved from Jahannam. So many du'as. In Surah Al-Furqan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the believers in a long series of verses. And he says, وَالَّذِينَ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا صْرِفْ عَنَّا عَذَابَ جَهَنَّمَ إِنَّا عَذَابَهَا كَانَ غَرَامَ إِنَّهَا سَأَتْ مُسْتَقَرًّا وَمُقَامًا They make du'a to Allah. Oh Allah, turn us away from the adab of Jahannam. Indeed, its adab is a painful torture. In Surah Ali Imran, at the beginning of the surah and at the end of the surah, both, in other words, the whole surah, the beginning and ending, begin and end with what? With du'as to be saved from Jahannam. In the beginning, 
Allah says, الَّذِينَ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا إِنَّنَا آمَنَّا فَاغْفِلْنَنَا ذُنُوبَنَا وَقِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارِ The believers are those who, they say, O oh Allah, we have believed, forgive us and save us from the fire of hell. And then at the very end, the last page, رَبَّنَا مَا خَلَقْتَ هَذَا بَاطِلًا سُبْحَانَكَ فَقِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارِ O oh, our Lord, you have not created this whole creation in vain. So save us from the fire of hell. فَقِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارِ And of course we can go on and on. The famous Surah Al-Baqarah that وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَقُولُ رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنًا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنًا وَقِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارِ أُولَيْكَ لَهُمْ نَصِيبُ مِمَّا كَسَبُوا So very explicitly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran to constantly make dua to be saved from Jahannam. And if you look at even the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would make dua to be saved from Jahannam constantly. We have so many ahadith that in fact, we didn't even, don't have time to, to go into all of them. But for example, uh, the Prophet sallallahu would every single salah before saying the salam, he would make this dua. That Al-Bara ibn Azib said that uh, he would, that uh, the Prophet would say, Rabbi qini adabak yawma tab'athu ibadak. That, oh my Lord, uh, save me from your punishment when you resurrect your creation. He would say this in the salah before saying the taslim. And after finishing the taslim as well, he would say this, uh, the, 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 the dua as well, uh, that Allahumma inni a'udhu bikum al-adhabi jahannam. He would seek Allah's refuge from the adhab of jahannam. And during the dhikr sessions, the Prophet wasallam said that the angels, uh, they go up and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks the angels, how did you leave my servants? And the angels will say, they were seeking refuge in you, O Allah. And Allah will say, and he knows the answer, Allah will say, what were they seeking refuge? And they say, the angels will say, they were seeking refuge from the fire of hell. Allah will say, have they seen it? The angels will say, no. Allah will say, what if they saw it? The angels will say, they would even be more eager to be saved from it and uh, more uh, uh, fearful of it. And so Allah will answer, so go, uh, so I call you witness that I have protected them uh, from Jahannam. I have forgiven them for their sins and protected them from Jahannam. This hadith, indicates that the people who constantly ask Allah's forgiveness and ask Allah to be protected from Jahannam, Allah will call the angels to witness and Allah will say, these creations of mine, these servants of mine are so eager to be saved from Jahannam and they haven't even seen it. And therefore, because of that, I shall protect them from Jahannam. So this is very important. In fact, our Prophet Sallallahu would even pause his recitation from the Quran. And that's something you have to think about that SubhanAllah, when you're reading the Quran, it's the highest form of dhikr. And when you're reading it outside of salah, outside of salah, our Prophet Sallallahu would, not inside salah, outside of salah, any time there was mention of Jannah, he would stop and he would ask Allah for Jannah. And any time there was mention of Jahannam, he would stop recitation and seek Allah's refuge from Jahannam. And so this is something that is very, very common. And in fact, every night before going to sleep, our mother Hafsa radiallahu anha narrates that whenever our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would want to go to sleep, he would put his right hand under his cheek. That was his personal habit. It's not something that is sunnah per se. It's something that he himself would do. He would put his right hand under his cheek and then he would say, 
اللهم قني عذابك يوم تبعث عبادك او الله save me from your punishment when you resurrect your creation three times he would uh, say this and it is also reported that our prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam would regularly make dua اللهم اني اعوذ بك من الكسل والهرم والمغرم والمأثم اللهم اني اعوذ بك من عذاب النار وفتنه النار وفتنه القبر reported in bukhari once again i seek refuge in you from the adab of the nar the adab of the qabr and the fitna of the nar now all of these uh, clearly indicate, dear brothers and sisters, that we should constantly make dua to Allah to protect us from Jahannam. It should be a part and parcel of our duas. In fact, this should be the bulk of our duas. Oh Allah, we want Jannah and we would seek refuge in Jahannam. Oh Allah, forgive us and grant us Jannah and protect us from Jahannam. This should be our constant dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Simple question, what do you think will be the fate of the one who asked Allah thousands of times throughout the course of the 50, 60, 70 years he worshiped Allah, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of times. What do you think shall be the fate of the one who constantly asked Allah to be saved from Jahannam? Surely Allah will accept one of those tens of thousands of times. Surely just once is all we need. Just one dua to be accepted. That's all. And alhamdulillah, we have been successful. That's why our Prophet وسلم, said, listen to this hadith. It's in Tirmidhi and Nisa'i, narrated by Anas ibn Malik. The Prophet وسلم, said, whoever asks Allah three times, for Jannah, for Jannah. Jannah itself says, O oh Allah, cause him to enter, enter me. And whoever seeks refuge in Allah three times from Jahannam, Jahannam itself says, O oh Allah, let him not enter me. Jahannam itself says, I don't want this person, SubhanAllah. Three times, sincerely. If you ask Allah, Allahumma nisaluka al-Jannah, Allahumma nisaluka al-Jannah, Allahumma nisaluka al-Jannah, Jannah itself desires you. And if you say, Allahumma ni'udhu bika min al-Nar, Allahumma ni'udhu bika min al-Nar, Allahumma ni'udhu bika min al-Nar, three times you say it, then Jahannam itself says, I don't want you, go up there, subhanAllah. So this shows us the frequency of wanting uh, to have, uh, to, to enter Jannah and constantly asking Allah to protect us from the fire of hell. So of the ways to protect ourselves from Jahannam is to raise our hands to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and sincerely ask Allah constantly, frequently with Iman, with understanding that we don't want to enter the punishment of Allah, the fire of hell. And of course, these are some points that um, uh, are explicitly linked, but in the end of the day, any good deed, obedience to Allah, saves us from Jahannam. As Allah says in Surah An-Nisa, وَمَن يُطِعِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ يُدْخِلْهُ جَنَّاتٍ تَجِيمَ تَحْتِ الْأَنْهَارُ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا وَذَلِكَ الْفَوْزِ الْعَظِيمِ Whoever obeys Allah and His Messenger, Allah will cause him to answer Jannat. وَمَن يَعْصِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ وَيَتَعَدَّ حُدُودَهُ يُدْخِلُ نَارًا خَالِدًا فِيهَا وَلَوْ عَذَابٌ مُهِينٌ Whoever disobeys Allah and His Messenger and transgresses beyond the red lines that Allah Azawajal has not allowed, that person Allah will cause to enter the fire and uh, he shall be there and he shall have a humiliating punishment. So very simple, good deeds and piety lead to Jannah and save from Jahannam. Bad deeds and impiety save, uh, uh, turn you away from Jannah and take you towards Jahannam. It's very simple. Now, uh, for the rest of, of uh, the lecture, and this is how we're gonna conclude inshallah this talk uh, about all of the, uh, the issues of Jahannam. I wanted to mention a very beautiful um, passage from Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. 
And it's a, a passage that he summarizes for us. The famous is one of his most famous passages. He summarizes for us the 10 factors through which a person might be able to be saved from Jahannam because of a sin that he has committed. And of these 10, the first, you know, uh, three or four are what we aim for. The rest of them, we don't necessarily aim for them, but if it happens, it is better than Jahannam. Okay, so Ibn Taymiyyah says, these are the 10 factors that cause one's sins to be dissolved, to be taken care of in, in a way that they don't have to get to Jahannam for, okay? So we're gonna finish off our entire series by quickly going over this list, a very simple list, a beautiful list, and I want you all to pay attention and to memorize. We need to take notes, it's a beautiful list. And to be honest, it really shows uh, how perceptive Ibn Taymiyyah is that he's reading the entire Quran and Sunnah and he's extracted from the Quran and Sunnah 10 mechanisms via which one's sins are gotten rid of or at least taken care of because some of these are lesser punishments than Jahannam and between the two we'd rather have the lesser punishment but if we can choose we don't even want to get there we want to get get rid of them without any punishment and that will be done in the first three methods what we do and then uh, the fourth and fifth is not something we can cause but basically it happens by Allah's blessings and then sixth, seventh and eighth and ninth and tenth this is something that you know we don't aim for we'll get to this now what is number one number one and number two we'll discuss together uh, because really they are the same concept number one and number two number one and number two are tawbah and istighfar tawbah and istighfar now Ibn Taymiyyah puts them in two separate categories because in reality there is slight difference between them tawbah is a state of the heart. Istighfar is an action of the tongue. Tawbah is a state of mind. Istighfar is a deed. Tawbah is emotional. Istighfar is action-based. And that's why he puts them in two separate categories. But in reality, Tawbah and Istighfar, really they are intertwined in that. A Tawbah necessitates Istighfar and an Istighfar incorporates Tawbah. You cannot really do Tawbah properly without doing Istighfar. And if you do Istighfar properly, you've already included the step of Tawbah in it. And so Tawbah and Istighfar, this is the most important two mechanisms via which we want to get rid of all of our sins and they are completely gone if we do that properly. If we repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, the one who repents from the sin, it is as if he has never done it at all, literally wiped away. And istighfar as well, wipes away the sins. Allah is ghafoor and Allah loves the ones who does istighfar and Allah Azzawajal forgives when you ask his forgiveness. So tawbah and istighfar. Number three, another mechanism that we can do to erase the sins that we have done so that we don't have to face Jahannam. Number three is doing good deeds doing good deeds. As Allah says in the Quran, doing good deeds causes evil deeds to go away. So we have to be extra vigilant when we do something evil and all of us do evil. We have to make that up in order to get rid of the evil deed. As the one who did some sin came to the Prophet and he did a good deed as well after that. And the Prophet said to him, didn't you do this good deed as well? He said, yes. So this good deed has caused that deed to go away. So we increase our good deed with the recognition and knowledge that we're doing this to erase our sins. That's a very important point. So point number three, hasanat, doing good deeds. Point number four, that causes our sins to dissolve, our sins to erase away. Point number four, now we can't necessarily, you know, do it ourselves, 
But if we live a certain lifestyle, it will be done for us. What is point number four? The righteous believers asking Allah to forgive you. Dua of the believers for others. Dua of the believers in this world and even at the time of your death in your janazah prayer and then after your death as well. So point number four is somebody raising his hands and say, Oh Allah, forgive so-and-so. Oh Allah, bless so-and-so. Oh Allah, cause this person's to rank, rise, uh, to his rank to rise in Jannah. And at the time of your death, you have Allah's janazah prayer and everybody is sincerely praying, Oh Allah, this person helped me. Oh Allah, this person did this and that. Oh Allah, this. And so you ask Allah to forgive. And then when the person is gone, uh, there are people that are gonna be making dua for you and uh, maybe doing a good deed for you, doing umrah or hajj on your behalf or doing something of this nature. That is something that will also bring about forgiveness uh, and your children making istighfar that, oh Allah, my father did this, my mother did that, you know, forgive their sins. Now, question to all of you. You obviously are not going to be able to dictate to other people that they make istighfar for you, that they remember you when you're gone. There's nothing really that you can do directly to cause yourself to have a large janazah. There's nothing that you can do directly to guarantee that after you die, people are gonna do good deeds and gift them on your behalf. But you can do something indirectly that will insha'Allah ta'ala maximize that. And what is that? Impact the greatest number of people through your generosity and good deeds. Impact them through your sadaqah, your knowledge, your kindness, your charity. Do something to change the lives of other people such that when your life is gone and their lives continue, they shall remember you, they shall make dua for you. Such that when the news comes that so-and-so passed away, hundreds, thousands of people will flock, they will leave their jobs, they will stop what they're doing and they will say, the least that I can do after all that he's done is to attend this person's janazah and make sincere dua for him. So. Live your lifestyle benefiting other people such that when you can no longer do that, they will inshaAllah ta'ala benefit you for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is point number uh, uh, four, that the dua of the believers and the istighfar of the believers and the good deeds of the believers after the person passes away. And of course, there are many, many uh, hadith and ayat about this. And I gave a whole lecture uh, when we did the series of the Barzakh. If you listen to the last lecture of that series, I went over the positions of the vast majority of ulama who say that you may gift good deeds to the dead. This is the default position and you may indeed do so. And uh, you may, of course, by unanimous consensus, you commit istighfar for any dead person, any Muslim that passes away, anyone make dua for them that oh Allah forgive Imam al-Bukhari oh Allah you know grant uh, Ibn Hajar in the Firdaus oh Allah bless Ibn Taymiyyah you know in his Qabr we can make these duas for those that have gone on for the Imams and for our deceased relatives your uncles and aunts and mothers and fathers and grandmothers and whatnot make dua for them and that will definitely reach them and benefit them so that is point number four the dua of the believers uh, while they're alive as well, by the way, don't forget that, that you can make dua when they're alive, that oh Allah bless them and forgive their sins and you know give them a long life full of iman and taqwa. And when they pass away, which is Salatul Janazah, and after that, they can continue as well. So this is point number four, that is the dua of the believers for the other uh, believers. And inshallah also make dua for your teachers and those that benefit you as well, hint, hint, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, point number uh, uh, five, uh, is that 
the uh, point number, uh, sorry, excuse me, um, I, I'm, uh, point number four and five, I put them together. You can separate them. Ibn Taymiyyah puts them sep- uh, separate, I put them together. Point number four, he says dua. Point number five is good deeds. Uh, in fact, it is really one category, and that is what others do for you, right? So Ibn Taymiyyah says, if they make dua, he puts it number four. And if they gift a good deed, is point number five. I mix them all up because really, it's the concept to somebody else doing it for you. Uh, point number six, which is one of our ultimate goals, but we cannot immediately aim for it. It is a gift that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Point number six is the shafa'ah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The shafa'ah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Because there will be people that have done sins, that have done evil, and they deserve to be punished but they will come on the day of judgment. And because of the shafa'ah of the Prophet sallallahu they will not be punished. They will be saved from Jahannam. And this hadith is in Sahih Muslim. Our Prophet sallallahu said, my shafa'ah is meant for the major sinners of my ummah. There will be people who deserve to be punished. And because of the shafa'ah of the Prophet ﷺ, they shall be saved from Jahannam. And I talked over the concept of shafa'ah in a lot of detail when I did uh, the Day of Judgment. I did a whole series on the Day of Judgment before this series. That's what led to our series of, uh, of Heaven and Hell, as you're aware. I hope you're aware of this, inshallah ta'ala. It's a whole series that I've done. Remember guys, this is a continuous series. We did the signs of the Day of Judgment, right? And then we did the barzakh in a lot of detail. And then we did the actual Day of Judgment. And then we are doing now a description of Jahannam and then we will do Jannah. So this is five series linked back to back. It is the journey of the soul that, that um, uh, we are doing here. There's journey of basically the entire end of times and then afterwards. And so in that uh, series, I mentioned this issue about the Shafa'ah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. How do you get the Shafa'ah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? Two things primarily. Number one, perfecting the Kalimah. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. And number two, lots of salawat upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, right? So sending salat and salam, asking Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to grant him the wasila and the fadila. So you following the sunnah, loving the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, sending salat upon him is also one of the ways that you can get the shafa'ah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That is point number six. Point number seven, and this is not now. So the first six are all positive and good, and there's no negatives with them, right? Seven, eight, and nine, they are better than Jahannam, but not things we aim for. We would rather skip over point number seven, eight, and nine, right? So to be again uh, uh, um, uh, clear here that uh, the first three of them is that we want to do, we aim to do. The next three, we cannot really aim to do. It's there, it's there. The next three after the seven, eight, and nine, these are things we do not want. But if they happen, then at least we can console ourselves that inshallah ta'ala, it can be used to save ourselves from Jahannam, okay? Point number uh, seven is what? Is the calamities, the griefs, the anxieties, the stress, the pain, the suffering that happens to us when we're alive. And we have Iman in Allah throughout that time frame. Whoever has Iman in Allah and remains firm while calamities are happening, is patient, the anxieties in our hearts, the grief, the worries, the physical pain, the stress, the politics around us, whatever is happening, and we maintain our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, every single pain and calamity 
is going to be used by Allah to forgive our sins. Rather than being punished in Jahannam, next time you're under stress, next time you have a sickness, so much so the Prophet said, even a thorn that pricks you, Allah forgives your sins. Don't look forward to pain and punishment. Don't want to be under stress. But when you are under stress and feeling pain and anxiety, console yourself. Insha'Allah Ta'ala, Allah is ridding me of my sins so that I don't have to deal with them in the, uh, in the Akhirah, in the fire of hell. That is point number seven. Point number eight is that uh, the, uh, Ibn Taymiyyah says that point number eight, all that happens in the Qabr of the Fitna, and we seek Allah's refuge, the Adab, and the tightening of the Qabr, and the darkness of the Qabr, and the anxiety of the Qabr, and any type of terror of the Qabr, right? Once again, there will be Muslims who are sinful, and they might deserve to be punished in Jahannam. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because of the good that this person has done, will allow them to be saved from Jahannam, but be punished in a lesser degree to a lesser point in the adab of the Qabr, or through the fitna of the Qabr, or through the squeezing of the Qabr. And therefore that is another big, now we don't wanna go through any of that, right? We don't wanna have any adab of the Qabr. We don't wanna have any darkness. We want our Qabr to be a vast place of light and a place of peace. But there will be those that are on the other side and they'll have to answer for their sins through the punishment of the Qabr, we seek Allah's refuge. That is point number eight. Point number nine is the anxieties and the pains and the grief and the fear and the terror on the day of judgment, right? So eight, nine, and 10 is chronological. Eight is in this world, nine is in the, sorry, seven, eight, nine, sorry, seven, eight, nine. Seven, eight, nine, seven, eight, nine is chronological. Seven is in this world, the problems and the pain and the anxiety. Eight is in the Qabr and nine is on the day of judgment. On the day of judgment, once again, there will be some people, we want to be amongst them. Allah says in the Quran, وَهُمْ مِنْ فَزَعٍ يَوْمَئِذٍ آمِنُونَ They shall be safe from all of the anxiety on that day. We want to be amongst those people. Not feel any grief, be peaceful, be know what's gonna happen. We're gonna be confident and happy, and Allah Azza wa Jal will protect us, that's what we want. But there's gonna be a lot of people, the default, they shall be terrified, they shall be scared. And there's going to be tests and trials on that day. Some people will be thirsty, tired, hungry, even though they were Muslims. Some people will be in the direct sun. Some people will not know whether they're gonna get their book in the right and the left. And we went over all of this when we talked about the issues of uh, the day of judgment itself. And eventually they shall be saved. But that grief, even those that are struggling to get over the sirat, even those that their light goes out, even those that might even fall into the, you know, the sirat a little bit and then fall, you know, may slip, let's say slip, because again, the, the hooks are gonna come and scar somebody. That hook that comes and scars, the Prophet said, some of them, they're gonna scar, but still get safe. So the hook's gonna come and scratch them, but they're not gonna get dragged down. What's the purpose of that scratching? Why did that happen? That person did something to deserve punishment and he was deserving to go into Jahannam. Maybe he hurt somebody's, took somebody's right. Maybe he said a word that was dhulm against somebody. Maybe he slandered somebody. Maybe he stole somebody's money. Maybe he did, did, did something he should not have done. And he deserves to be punished. But because of other good deeds, 
The hook is gonna come, scratch him, and he shall continue onwards. That point right there is his kafara to be saved from Jahannam. And therefore that is point number nine, the issues that will happen on the day of judgment of all of the pain and suffering and anxiety and the grief. And then point number 10, which is something we do aim for, but obviously we can only ask for it. And that is the pure generosity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is without any cause the rahmah and the maghfirah and the karam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he gives even to those who don't ask for a reason that he knows. That's something that happens. You cannot, the only Allah is the one who chooses to give whom he wants. Even some people shall be forgiven for their sins and they didn't even ask Allah's forgiveness for reasons that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows because Allah knows what is in the hearts and Allah knows piety and righteousness from uh, those that are not righteous and pious. So these are the 10 points. Once again, the first three are what we aim for. Number one is uh, uh, our istighfar. Number two is our uh, tawbah. Uh, and uh, number three, uh, n number one is our istighfar, number two is our tawbah, number three is the good deeds that erase the bad deeds, and then the next uh, is that which we cannot uh, you know, uh, directly do. Number four is the dua of the believers for other believers. Number five is the good deeds of the believers for the other believers. Number six is the shafa'ah of the Prophet sallallahu So four, five, and six are other people doing for you. And then seven, eight, and nine, we don't want them. The calamities of this world, the fitnas of what is happening in the qabr, and then what is gonna happen on the day of judgment, we don't want them. And then the final thing out of all of them is the maghfirah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that is what our aim and our goal is. So dear brothers and sisters, this brings us to the final conclusion of our entire series about Jahannam. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with all of his names and with his jalal and, and ikram. And we ask Allah by his noble face. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because we believe in Allah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as those who testify to la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as those who pray regularly and those who do wudu uh, and those who try to establish the salah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as those who give zakat and charity and as those who for the sake of Allah. We ask Allah as those who strive to be of good akhlaq that because of all of this that He protects us from the fire of hell. Allahumma qinna adhabak yawma taba'athu ibadak. Allahumma asraf anna adhaba jahannam inna adhabaha kana gharama. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa qinna adhaba nar. And with that inshaAllah ta'ala in our next lesson we will begin our final series of this very long series that I've been doing for a year and a half, and that is going to be the series about Jannah. May Allah make us of the people of Jannah. Until then, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. خليله روحا وريحانا بطول